Very cool. I'm hopping right into the joke section in honor of teachers going back to work. Teacher says, uh, how do you spell wrong to her classroom? Little Bobby says, R-O-N-G. Teacher says, well, that's wrong. Bobby says, well, that's what you asked for, isn't it? <laughs> like, I like Bobby. <laughs> I've uh, been thinking, nothing tops a plain pizza. Comedy gold, you know it. This last one is just a thought. It's really not a joke. It's, you want to know one thing that almost everybody lies about? I have read and agreed to the terms of service. <laughs> you ever get somebody that says they don't lie? Okay, wait a minute. That thing that pops up on your phone when you're doing four other things, you're always reading all of that? No, you're not. Scripture reading. This is out of the message paraphrase. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the heartbroken, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of His grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for all the needs of all who mourn in Zion, Give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. Rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display His glory. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Um, we looked at that passage last week, you know, out of the, out of the NIV, but I love the, the way it's written there in the message, and I, I sort of want that to set the uh, foundation, if you would, as we look today at the second beatitude. Now, we're in a series that we, we call, Who Do You Think You Are? We're talking about our identity in Christ, and we've looked at a lot of different aspects. And last week, we started to uh, sort of unwrap the beatitudes and, and talk about what it means to have uh, the attitude that we need to have as, as in the kingdom of heaven, as citizens of heaven. And Matthew 5.3 is the first one that we looked at, and it sort of sets the foundation for all the rest. They, they build on one another, and, and we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit last week, that, that um, it, it helps us to realize our desperate need for God and to turn to Jesus for life, uh, and, and so that we might experience the kingdom, and, and that we can't do it in our own strength, and that we're desperate for Him. We talked about grace and mercy and and our constant daily need for Him, and how important it is for us to remember that all the time. It's like we're always going to come back there, that, that we need Jesus every moment of every day. With that in mind, then, we're going to take a look at the second beatitude in Matthew 5, 4, which is this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, the, the Beatitudes are interesting because the, the, the way they're set up, this is an interesting, uh, you know, verse. You look at it, blessed are those who mourn. Remember, we, we sort of looked at that word blessed last week. I said that, that in some translations, it's actually it's, it's happy. And, and I said, happy is not really it's a part of the definition, but it's not really it. And, and really, the best way to get it is to contrast it. The word is the exact opposite of the word for sin. And sin is all about us going our own way. So to be blessed is to be going God's way. That's what it means. To be walking the path that God has set us on, that's where life is found. 
And, and so in this next part, that path is um, part of mourning. Mourning is part of that process, but mourning brings us comfort. So we need to talk about, first point, what does it mean to mourn? What's going on there? Um, so all the time that, that you come, you will hear me often talk about Jesus being our model for life and for ministry. That, that that's, you know, what he represents. We, we can look to him, we can read about him in the scriptures, and we can find out what life is supposed to look like. He was undoing all sorts of religious things when he came, and, and he, I love reading the encounters he has with people, how he sees people that other people miss, and, and how he ministers to them, and how he loves on them, and, and, and how he invites them to the table, and wants to be a part with them, and that this is the, the life that Jesus calls us to. It's very relational, it's, it's very loving, it's filled with mercy and grace, and, and uh, people were drawn to Jesus. Everybody was, you know, from, from one end of the spectrum to the other back then, from the, the, the religious community, if you would, to the tax collectors, the worst of the worst, they were all drawn and attracted to Jesus because of the way he lived this life. Well, when we, when we really take that in, um, one of the things that happens is that, that we, when, when we're being honest, we realize that we, we're not living up to the life that he modeled, that, that, uh, there's this tension because we see the beauty of his way and yet we often choose to go our own way. And, and so there's this process that happens. And um, the response, see the, the disconnect there is, is sin. And what we really should do is we, we should mourn our sin that, that we can't, we don't, we fall short so often and, and ultimately the sin of the world. It's the sorrow of repentance, if you would, of, of grief over sin and how it impacts us and how it's impacting others and how it impacts God. That at the depth of it all, it's our sin that, that sent Jesus to the cross. And so we, we have to sort of take that in and there's something that happens as we do. The reality that, that the world is fallen, that, that the planet is, is broken, that my sin caused the problem. I can't fix it. And life doesn't always go the way I want it to. And that's a very hard realization for us. It's painful. And so the typical response culturally is not to mourn the mess at all. It's to try and escape that painful realization. You know, think about the money and, and the energy and the enthusiasm that's used in, in, in order to pursue pleasure as the ultimate goal of life. Now, don't get me wrong. God invented pleasure, so it's, it's, you know, he created. It's not a bad thing. But it's not supposed to be the everything that you strive for. And yet, for many people, that's what it becomes about. And, and that's what they focus on. So somehow, if they can just get to that spot, then, then all this other stuff kind of disappears. But see, there's a deep longing in your soul that once you've come to Christ, nothing uh, this side of heaven can satisfy it. Nothing in the world has to offer can satisfy it. What you have is that you have a longing for heaven. I want you to know, because you're a citizen of heaven, we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, you're a citizen of heaven, that's your home and you know it and you long for it. It's, It's in you. It's part of what's going on. And I don't think that a lot of people know how to connect with that longing. And so it keeps them sort of uh, you know, struggling in areas of their life because they don't know what this longing looks like or feels like. 
So the reality is we know deep down that there's something better than we're experiencing. And no matter how hard we try to make everything work, it just never does. So we try and fill that emptiness with other things. Like sometimes we'll just get really busy because we don't want to deal with it. We'll stay busy and we'll push, 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 and, and we're always on the go. And, and uh, if we keep busy, then, then we never have to deal with that, that little sort of nagging thing that's down there. Or uh, sometimes people try other things to fill it, things that are you know, certainly not okay, not that being busy all the time is, but even worse things, drugs or alcohol, immorality, something. But see, this longing can't be satisfied this side of heaven. And it's there to remind us that this is not our home. See, we're citizens of heaven. When you come to Christ, there's something better. Now, hear me. We get tastes of eternity now. The, the, the power of the age to come breaks through into this present age all the time, and we get tastes of what that's like. But it's a taste. It's not the full banquet. The full banquet awaits us. But, but we try... If we're not aware of this longing, what we try and do is we're, we try to satisfy it now instead of trying to mourn the brokenness. And, and what we have to do is we have to face and embrace that we live in a fallen world. It's a broken planet, and everything is broken here, including us. And, and so if we're busy trying to pretend that everything's okay, we take every reminder of the brokenness personally. It's like an attack on our plans of trying to make everything work. And we're like, oh, why does this happen to me? Like it's, we're the only person that things ever happen to her. And you know, sometimes we'll, we'll get mad and we'll, we'll sort of blame God or, or sometimes we think I must have done something wrong and God is punishing me. But re- the reality is this isn't heaven. Everything is broken here. And, and sin is the cause of it. If you really need to get mad at someone, get mad at the enemy because he's the one who initially deceived us into believing that we could be like God back in the garden and now he continuously deceives us by trying to get us to blame God so that we will once again try to be like God and go in our own way. And he's the author of all those things that are taking place. And so we, we have to be able to embrace this, this, the reality that things are broken here. Paul said this in Romans 7, 15 through 25. I like it. I think it's a great picture of this. Paul had been a believer a long time when he writes this. He says, I I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin is living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I, I find this law at work. When I, when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law, a sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in this sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Listen, every tragedy, every broken thing, every failure should just be a reminder that this temporary life will never be perfect. But in his mercy and grace, he has made a way for us to get back into the relationship with him we had before the fall. This is not as good as it gets. And you don't need to make it your life's purpose 
to try and fix it or to escape from it. If you don't hear me say anything else, I hope you hear that. Your life's purpose is not to fix every broken thing. It's also not to escape it. And, and what we're supposed to do is we're, we're supposed to embrace it. We mourn it. That, that uh, sin has messed up this amazing creation. That, that sin has messed up all our lives. It's caused us so many problems. And it's, we've, we've sinned and caused people problems. And, and it's just made this big mess in our lives. You, you know that feeling when things are going okay and then all of a sudden something happens and it doesn't have to be a big thing but something happens and you just take it really personally because you, you're sort of thinking things are good right now. It's like, like this week. Maybe you can relate to this. So uh, one evening this week, Alice and I, were, we're done for the day and we're, we're sitting in our chairs and, and we have our blankets on. Yes, I'm there. So uh, <laughs> the dog is appropriately snuggled and uh, all is well. I'm going to watch a TV show. And then that'll be that, and there you go. And the power goes out. (laughs) Most of you experienced a little power outage last week. Okay, now, in and of itself, probably not going to be a huge deal, but a week before we had a power outage that lasted all night long, which was a big deal. So when this power goes out, now the PTSD kicks in um, (laughs) from the week before and from the hurricane, and all of a sudden it's like, ah! Why does this happen to me? How come they can't keep the power on? How hard can this be? Anybody ever else do this? And they do a great job keeping the power on. And here we are struggling, but we can't relate to that. And I'm thinking, I got to go get the generator out now. And, uh, you know, I got the generator to run the whole thing. But that's not like a two-minute job. That's like a six-hour job. And I'm starting to contemplate. That's what always keeps me from it is how long is this going to be? And I'm searching the website. Anybody do this? When is the power coming back? Why doesn't anybody answer me? And then the power came back. Huh. But do, do you get that stuff like that just happens? It's, it's nobody, it wasn't a personal thing. It wasn't anybody was out trying to get it. It's nobody's fault. It's just, a, it's just a thing. And yet those things happen in our lives all the time and they take us out of sort of experiencing peace in life. And they're little things and they just become like these, these huge things in our lives. So what do we do? Point number two, I have to embrace it that things are going to fail in this life, that, that that's part of the deal. It's, it's still broken here. Perfect is coming. We're still dealing with some broken stuff. When I say that, though, hear this. In Christ, you have the absolutely best temporary life that you can have. Um, this is the best thing that there is, and, but we need to hang on to that and not get frustrated when things mess it up. Um, the, the, the word for comfort, one of its meanings in the Old English is to strengthen. And so embracing this brokenness is actually strengthening for us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I would like to be able to say, like the Apostle Paul, I delight in those things. I'm not there yet. I understand those things, and I try not to let them mess my life up too much, but I'm not to delight yet. But he was. But see, what happens is when I realize, when I start to embrace these attitudes and realize in my own strength, I just can't make it work. And, and that I'm, at that point, then I'm, I'm dealing with my weakness. See, what happens is then in Christ, I'm strong because what I'm doing is I'm trusting in him, not in me. And I know that he's got me. 
now and forever. I know that he does. And I can go back to that place of rest when I'm trusting in him. And and so as I trust him, this is what happens. Point number three is I find comfort. Comfort. That's where, where God wants us. That's why this attitude is so important. When we're comforted, when we're at peace, when we're at rest, we make a difference in the world around us, which is what he wants for us and what he wants us to be doing. And so it says, so when we mourn, when we embrace the idea that things are broken here and, and that he's breaking through all the time and he's helping us and he's with us, but it's, it's not going to be perfect till heaven, um, we start to find comfort. We find comfort in the reality that Jesus has died for our sins and we already stand forgiven. Romans, 8, uh, Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Justified. Remember how amazing that is. I bring it up all the time. When we come to know Christ, we're justified. Just as if we'd never sinned. That's how God is seeing us in the perfection of his son. It's the most amazing concept that we have that. And it comforts us because that big mess that we've done and still do isn't getting in our way of relationship with God. And, and then we have the promise of this comfort continuing throughout eternity. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When we're with Jesus, when glorification happens, these things are done. We don't have to mourn any longer to be blessed. It's, it's, it's just embracing it in the now. So, so our journey in Christ begins with the understanding that we're broken and in our own strength we can't fix it. We desperately need Jesus Alice and I were having coffee one morning this week on the patio and we were talking about this as we, as we usually do, what was coming up this weekend. And she said, as I talked to her about where I was going, she said, you know, Jesus is the ultimate example of a life of loss because he left perfection, came down here in order to endure the cross and to take our, sh- our, sh- our shame and our sin upon him. And, and that how amazing that is. He did that so he could gain everything, but, but he was willing to do that to demonstrate what it looks like. So then when we look to Jesus and we realize what he's done for us so that we can experience life now and, and forever, it, it, we can mourn our brokenness. We can embrace it. We can recognize what our sin and, and the sin of the world has done. And, and then it allows us to know even more, how amazing Jesus is, how amazing God is um, for what he's done and that he comes and he comforts us with his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness so that we can experience life now and forever. And, forever. and when we're experiencing that life, see, that's when we uh, are able to embrace our, our mission of reconciling the world to him because we're, we're able to s- just separate from the craziness and, and live in his peace. And so this is a part of that. This attitude is so important. We can't just continually try and fix everything is broken. We can't escape it. We just understand it's part of the deal for now. It's not the forever deal, but it's part of the deal. But that in the meantime, he's with us and he's for us and he's got us. And this is the best life that you can have. And he wants us to live that life so that we can share it with others. So that's where we're going to end that one. We're going to pick it up. Lots of neat attitudes coming up in the weeks ahead. But uh, I'll leave you with that one to consider.